This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Everyone, how are you doing today? Michael Zuber, author of One Rental at a Time. And as you know, I have been in the real estate game for better part of 20 years. I've been studying real estate going back in time to really what what happens in the real estate market, what, uh, what happened during the Great Depression, what happened in the 80s with tax changes, things of that nature. So the last six months, maybe nine months, I have been battling it out with others that were talking about a real estate crash either in 2020 or 2021. I think it's pretty obvious now that... Uh, I was right in 2020 and will be right again in 2021. But now the most common question I get is, great, you were right. You've been watching the market. You can see what's going on. But tell me this, real estate is going to crash when? Well, let's, let's get agreement so that instead of using words, we can actually use numbers so that we're on the same page. So let's call a crash 20%, okay? So anything less than 20% is not a crash, at least in this example. And if we wanted to change it, if we wanted to make it 10% or 30%, we could do that. But for this conversation, let's just agree that a crash is 20%. And there is a lot of folks out there that are looking at the chart, the price chart, the fact that real estate was up 14.6% last year, the fact it is forecast to go up 12% this year, and just want to call a crash. Because, hey, last time price went up exponentially, and it exploded, popped, catastrophe, all of those things. There's a lot of recency bias going on. But I want you to, to kind of walk through history with me and realize there are only three things, three things that have caused housing crashes. Again, remember, 20%. So let's review those. And then you and I together can look at the current situation <clears throat> excuse me, current situation, and see if a crash is likely, and if it is likely, when it is likely. This is the important conversation. So I don't know if you know this. I spent a lot of time researching the Great Depression. The Great Depression is the first time that housing, single-family homes, really fell in value and fell hard, hard. Now, many of you may not know this, but one of the reasons it fell so hard is that single-family homes were financed on short-term debt. They typically had three, four, or five-year balloon payments. They'd pay a couple of dollars, 
And then at the end of term, three, four, or five years, a balloon would come due. That is obviously not very common today. We have 15-year fully amortized, meaning the balance goes to zero. We have 30-year fully amortized, it goes to zero. There are some balloon products on the market. But one of the reasons the Great Depression housing market got so bad is the employment picture in the economy got bad. And while people were still paying their small mortgage payments, they couldn't handle the balloon. The bank foreclosed and then the bank had a run on the banks. So the first thing to realize is should we ever go back and rely on short-term debt? Really think about what Dave Ramsey was doing in the 80s. Dave Ramsey has shared it many times. He was playing with millions of dollars in leverage with short 90 and 180-day periods. That works well until it doesn't, right? And then once the dominoes fall, you can't get out of the way. So when you think about the Great Depression and you realize what happened to the lending environment, I ask you this. This is the first one of three. With all of the loans that are in, you know, in, in effect or done today, do we have a dominance of products that have balloon payments? And the answer, quite simply, is no. I talked to Matt, the mortgage guy, earlier in the week. Something like 99.1% of all loans are fully amortized loans today. Even if it's 97%. We are not going to have this cascading of homes when their terms come due that they can't refi or restructure and move forward. So that's off the table. Okay, fine. So now let's talk about the 1980s. The 1980s saw perhaps the most punitive, focused, nasty tax changes aimed at real estate investors. Before the 1980s, it was very common for dentists, doctors, lawyers, high-income professionals to buy rental properties. And then as the paper losses came through, they could actually write it off against their income. That has since changed. They changed the rules. They created income thresholds. They, they blew up that environment. And guess what happened? The lawyers, the doctors, and the attorneys said, well, that was good while it lasted. I'm selling. So, is it possible that this current administration could on purpose focus, get nasty, get mean, and change the rules that have benefited real estate for the last several decades? The answer is, yeah. I mean, I've been shocked at the stuff that's come through. They could... They could go and do lots of things, but it would have to be nasty. I'm not talking simply eliminate 1031 exchanges. That would hurt. 
I'm not talking eliminate stepped up bases. That would hurt. I'm talking something so nasty like you can't write off interest. You can't, um, you can't deduct depreciation. You know, it would have to be so game-changing that existing landlords go, oh my God, why would I own this anymore? Get this, get rid of this. That's what happened last time. An elimination of stepped-up bases would hurt. Real estate investors would complain. But you know what? It doesn't really hit them until they're dead. So they would, they'd figure it out. Elimination of 1031 exchanges would have an effect at the margin. Maybe instead of laddering up to capture more depreciation, they do seller financing or something. Again, they would get around it. But again, is it within the realm of possibilities that the current administration looks at landlords and says, you're evil, you're bad, you're what's wrong with America, I'm going to change every tax advantage you have? It's possible. I highly doubt it. First off, a lot of politicians are landlords. Let's not forget that. And also, by the way, when you look at the tax code, it really rewards what they want, and they want affordable housing. So while it is possible, it is absolutely possible that they could change tax code to make being a landlord unfun, I highly doubt they change enough of it where most landlords go unfun, if you know what I mean. So now let's go to the Great Recession. The Great Recession is an interesting one. It is recency bias. It is what a lot of you are thinking about and why you're looking at the chart going, huh, huh, crash is coming. I lived through it. I invested before it at the top during the crash and coming back. Danced through the raindrops, so I was in it. I'm not somebody who just started in 2012. I started way back in 2001. So here's the deal about the Great Recession. It was kind of a combination of what happened in the Depression in that a too many loans, typically uh, high leverage, liar loans and all of that, were adjustable rate mortgages. They had terms. They weren't kite they weren't balloons, right? The Great Depression was balloons. The Great Recession was interest rate changes. We'll give you a teaser rate of this, and then two years it changed to that. Or it had pick your payment or all these other products that at some point stopped and went full term, and now your payment skyrockets. Again, the loans were badly done. They were is a whole environment. But here's the deal about the Great Recession. The Great Recession was worse than it had to be. What I really remember about the Great Depression, and again, the third reason real estate could crash was the supply-demand imbalance. Not many people talk about this. They talk about the loans and all of this stuff. But that could have been fixed if... Banks started doing good loans. Let me give you some examples. So back in 2010, which turned out to be the bottom of the market in my particular area, every, every market was off a little bit. I tried to go and buy a house for about $80,000 that had 
originally been about 250. So it fell 70%, say 75%, something like that. It was in decent condition. It maybe needed three or four grand in make ready and ready for a tenant that would have paid $1,200. It would have easily cash flowed with 25% down, which I was willing to put. But for whatever reason, the banks did not want a loan to experienced investors. I am convinced if banks, instead of saying no to me because I had too much real estate, they could have saved another 20 or 30%. So when I talk about the Great Recession, what I will remember most is how they allowed supply and demand to get so out of balance. Supply was growing weekly. Every Monday, more properties would come. It was just a, it was like a wave every week. It was just amazing and price drops and price drops. But the problem was they also choked, cut off, eliminated demand. They stopped lending. They were so focused on trying to, I guess, survive or clean up or address this stuff, right? The problem that they failed to realize that if, you know what, if we go find experienced investors and lend to them, we could put a floor under this market. So back to that example, I tried to buy a house for 75 grand, a bank told me no. That house eventually sold at 58 grand cash. It, it went from a list price of 75 grand and eventually sold to somebody for $58,000 cash. That happened over and over and over. If you could have got a loan at 75 or 80%, it probably would have been the safest loan you could have ever gotten. But because they didn't want to lend, they had to wait for a cash price. And the cash price was significantly lower. This is why hedge funds and, you know, all, you know, America home rents or whatever they're called. They lined up their pockets. They got ready. They just came in with cash. They paid list price and they won. So back to today, when will real estate crash? First, Great Depression. Do we have balloon payments? Do you see balloon payments becoming a standard? And I think the answer is hell no. So we can take that crash off the table. Number two, the 80s, tax changes. This is a pretty, that's unknown. I think there's a lot of people out there that have um, strong opinions about current leadership and they could see mean, nasty changes aimed at real estate investors. I think that is a step way too far. I think they will likely play on the edges. It will be annoying. It will be stuff we talk about amongst ourselves, but it won't be that nasty surprise. But again, I'm not involved in those conversations. They don't ask me. So that one's kind of an unknown. If you could tell me when that happens or if it happens, I will tell you when a crash comes. And then finally, number three, the Great Recession. When or if supply will dwarf demand. Supply was like five, six, seven to one in 2010. That's what I remember. Supply kept coming. Demand was nowhere. That's how a house at 250, I wanted it 75, eventually sold at 58. 
what do you got today? You don't have waves of inventory. Demand's getting a little harder. Interest rates are up. Criteria's up. But it's not, it's not zero. It's not like thou shall not lend. So in short, everybody wants it to be a bubble because I guess bubbles pop, right? Bubbles exist and bubbles pop. I think this real estate environment is far more like a balloon. I think it's just a balloon. And yes, the balloon is getting pretty big. But as demand, as lending changes, I think they're just going to stop blowing and the balloon's just going to get smaller and smaller. So what do I see coming? I see uh, price appreciation slowing down. Price appreciation is going to slow down. Supply is going to build. It is going to build slowly. It is going to build month after month. We are going to go from 1 million to 1.1 to 1.2 to 1.3 million homes. And we're going to continue that journey until we get over 3 million active listings. It could be another 18 months until we get there. So in short, I do not see a crash. Remember way at the beginning, I called a crash a 20% drop suddenly within a 12-month period. I do not see it coming. I see a 2020, a 2020 appreciation rate of 14.6 being the peak. I see 2021 being, let's call it 10-ish. I see 2022, 6 or 7-ish percent. I see it slowing. Could it go negative? Yes. I don't see it going negative more than 3, 4, 5%. So all of these things really means do your work. Quality difference will make a, make a difference. Investment options will be out there. I know it's hard. I know 2020 was terrible because there was no inventory. I think it gets a lot better from here. For those of you hoping for a crash, I'm sorry. It's only happened three times. Jump, uh, debts, mortgages with balloons, not happening. Tax changes being mean, nasty, and punitive, maybe. Three, supply dwarfing demand. And that is just not where we are. Let me know what you think. Leave comments below. Have a wonderful day. Subscribe. Thumbs up. Give me some love. Take care. Bye-bye.